What's up, my friends? How are we today? Online, I hope you're good. Um, you didn't brave the elements today, and that's okay. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy day outside. Anybody think it's going to snow? Yeah, I'm, hoping, I'm holding out some hope. Um, I'm hopeful for the snow. I'm hopeful for a lot of things this year, but, you know, a little snow this evening would be a, a nice touch. You know, I don't know what things are like in your house these days, but um, there's been some interesting times in my home over the last several months. Uh, a few months ago, I was getting my boys ready for school, and um, I have the privilege, notice I said privilege, of uh, being responsible for my making sure my kids get on the school bus every single morning. Uh, my wife leaves the house a lot earlier than the rest of us. And so on this particular morning, it was just one of those mornings where things just seemed to be a little bit behind. Um, it was pouring down rain outside. It was kind of like today. It was just nasty. It was, it was raining. And um, normally my boys walk to the bus stop and everything is good. Uh, on this morning, I said, boys, I need y'all to make sure you're on time today so that I can give you a ride to the bus stop so you don't have to walk in the torrential downpour before you get on the bus. And so we're just walking through, and it was just like, man, everything was behind. And it was just kind of this tense, tense morning. Um, nobody's really in the best of moods. And I know you never have those mornings. Um, I just want to confess that we do at the Jackson house. And uh, so it was just one of those days. We finally, we get in the truck, and we pull down to the bus stop, and I park on the side of the street waiting for the bus to show up. And of course, the bus is like five minutes late. You, you know how you rush, rush, and rush, and then the bus isn't on time. And so we're just sitting there having some quality time, me and my two little boys. And the uh, bus finally shows up. It's pouring down rain. I'm like, all right, boys, y'all have a great day. Love you. See you soon. Braden jumps out. Camden panics. He goes, Dad, I forgot my mask. And I'm like, bro, are you serious? Like you've been wearing a mask every day for the last four months. How did you forget your mask? I don't understand. And so um, in that moment, um, I didn't stay calm. <laughs> you probably stay calm in those moments. I'm like, dude, you, you gotta go to school. How did you not remember a mask? And so I'm looking in my truck, trying to find a mask, find a mask. I hand it to him. He goes, no, dad, no, there is no way I'm wearing that mask. And I'm like, you will wear this mask for the rest of your life if I say so. You know, I'm having this moment. He's like, Dad, just go back home and get another mask and come back. The bus will wait. And I'm like, that bus is not waiting for you, fool. Like, you, you need to get on the bus, take this mask. And so there was, there was a little bit of a conflict in um, my truck that morning. And as I'm sitting there, things are getting a little bit heated and our voices are elevated. And I look up at the bus driver and she's just grinning, like, hurry up. And so finally I'm like, Cam, take this mask and get on bus. And so he gets out on the bus, he's frustrated. And then of course I'm driving back to the house and I start feeling guilty. I don't know if you've ever done that before. And I'm like, man, I'm such a jerk. Why do I treat my kids the way that I treat them? And, um, you know, I start praying. I'm like, God, I don't deserve my kids. I don't deserve my family. I, you know, just kind of, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I remembered something. I remembered that uh, my wife is a lot smarter than me. And so she put a spare mask in both of my boys' backpacks for days like that day. And so immediately I'm like, oh, awesome. So I text Braden because he's got a phone with him. And I text him and I said, hey, buddy. I said, how's Cam? And then I said, hey, let him know he's got a mask in his backpack. Everything should be fine. He responds and he says, he's fine. He said he'd rather wear the mask that you gave him anyways. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, all of that and he's good. Everything is going to be a great day. Listen, it's complicated in my house. I don't know if it's like that for you. Um, that one might be a little bit funny, but it's been a tough year. It's been, there's, there's some complications. There's some conflict. There's some difficult things that we're walking through in life. You know, every single week, you hear us talk about praying for one another. It's something that we value at Community Faith is praying specifically for each other. And so every week, um, you all, 
as well as many others, send in prayer requests. And I've noticed a trend over the last several months as I've read these daily prayer requests and prayed specifically for names and families and people that we're struggling. And we're really struggling specifically in our homes. I see a lot of struggles with uh, married couples, couples struggling to, to navigate this season. And uh, it's leading to more and more divorce, not just in our church, but across our country. Anxiety and depression and stress seems to be at an all-time high. We're worried about our physical health. We're struggling. Suicide rates are up. And so we're rolling in this series called Hope for Your Home. Piggybacking on a week like what we've watched this week in the news, we're talking about hope for our home. Why is that? Well, because I believe that when we begin to experience real hope in our homes, then we begin to experience healthy homes. And as we experience healthy homes, we find ourselves shaping healthy communities. And as our healthy communities continue to grow, we begin to shape healthier countries and a healthier world, but it starts in the home. And so there was a little bit of tension I felt this week. Are we being a little bit tone deaf by rolling into this series called Hope for Your Home on the end of a week like what we've seen in the news? And I think it's the perfect series to run into. And so as we think about this idea of hope for your home, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to define what is a home. When we talk about home, what are we talking about? We're talking about family. But specifically, we're talking about two things. We're talking about where you are. Home is where you are. It's where you are right now. Wherever you find yourself in life, maybe you're single, a college student, just kind of stepping out into the days of freedom from your parents' uh, protection and authority and um, living under the same roof. Maybe you're 25 and you're kind of just getting started in your career path. Maybe you're single and 35, 40, and you're just kind of content with life. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, I'm looking for that special someone, but that for you is, is where you are right now. Maybe you're single again, never anticipated being single again, whether it was divorce or becoming widowed. Maybe you're married with kids, young kids, Maybe you're married with teenagers, and that's a whole different struggle. I'm going to come run into you in a few years and be like, hey, what in the world do I do in this situation? Maybe you're married with older kids. They've grown into adults. Maybe they're even raising their own families. You find yourself in a place of empty nesting. Maybe you're a blended family. Wherever you are, that is home. It's how you do life. But not only is it where we are, it's also home is where you've been. It's where I've been. We look back at what's going on in uh, our culture and in our home culture as we grew up. We, we experienced things, good, bad, ugly, some of our highest highs and our lowest lows in connection with people that are dear to us, that are close to us. But what's interesting is some of the things that maybe we even look back at our home growing up, we see in our home now because what happened back in those days shapes how we think today. It shapes what we believe. It shapes our political views. It shapes the way that we love one another. It shapes the way that we are affectionate towards people. It shapes the way that we communicate. You know, it's funny. There are things that happened in your home growing up that drove you crazy. Maybe you had the dad who thought it was okay to come strolling through the living room while you and your buddies were hanging out playing video games and all he had on was his tidy whities And you're like, dad, really? Like right now, could you at least put on some shorts? Or maybe your mom was that one who thought she was Mariah Carey. And so anytime the radio's on, she's singing like Mariah Carey. And you're like, man, mom, I think, I, I, 
I think you need to stop. But what's funny is now you mimic some of the things that used to drive you crazy. Now you're that dad. And you're like, no, oh, he's right. Or maybe you're that mom and your kids now are telling you, hey, what, mom, what are you doing? You're, you're driving us crazy. And so they got their noise canceling headphones on. Where we've been is shaping our home even today. And it leaves us in a place where we ask the question sometimes because not everything that is shaped where our home is today is good. And it leaves us asking the question, is there any hope for my home? Is there any hope for my home? And I wanna say with an astounding, yes, absolutely, there is hope for your home. And that's what we're gonna unpack over the next several weeks. When you came in today, you received one of these, uh, most likely in a little bag with your communion elements. And um, if you'll just take this and just kind of keep it close, we're gonna come back to this a little bit, but I want you to be thinking about hope for your blank. And when you think about your home, what is it that you're hopeful for? Are you hopeful for a healthier marriage? Are you hopeful for your kids growing up, understanding everything there is to understand about a relationship with Jesus? Are you hoping for maybe some financial freedom, some financial peace? Are you hoping for that perfect someone to start the family with? What is it that you are hoping for when you think about your home, where you are and where you've been? You see, here's what's interesting. This is why I have hope. Because our home today is shaped a lot by what's happened in the past. Hindsight is 2020. That's never been more real than it is today. But when we think about this, we find ourselves here. This is our home. This is where we are. This is everything that's happened in the past. And everything that's happened in the past has influenced who we are today and what our home looks like today. But what our home looks like today and what we decide to do with our home today will impact our home in the future. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna dive into some specific things. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to parent well, what it looks like to have a healthy marriage, what it looks like to navigate financial freedom and security and peace and what it looks like to deal with the past and deal with our future and, and all these things for men and women. This is for everybody. But today what I want us to do is I want us to kind of take a 30,000 foot view of hope for our home. In order to do that, I want us to look at three specific cultures that I've observed, not as the expert, not as the one that's got it all figured out. Clearly, I've already proved to you that I don't but I want us to look at three specific cultures that I've observed and I think are common in our world, in our homes. And the first two are not ideal. The first two are not where we ultimately want to be. And the third one is where I hope we can land today. And the first one is simply this. In a lot of homes, what you see and what we find and what we live in is a passive culture. We have a home culture that is passive. And I'm not saying, notice I didn't say um, lazy or absent, what I'm saying is that we're just not fully taking ownership and responsibility for what we've been trusted with in our home, the relationships that we have, the direction that we're going. And it's not that we uh, don't want to. I think the tendency for us as Americans is that we are so busy, we are so consumed, there is so much going on around us that we just simply get distracted and we become passive about what is happening in our homes and what we can do in our homes. And so I want us to think about this. What does this look like? Maybe you're like, I, I don't really understand what this whole culture, I, I know this, I know this is true for you. Your home has a culture. Every single one of us, we have a home and in that home is a culture. But what I also know is true is that a healthy culture rarely happens by accident. You and I will rarely stumble in to the healthy home culture that we all desire. It takes 
some intentionality. You know, I, uh, I grew up a Texas Longhorns fan, and you guys have heard me kind of crack on Longhorn fans. Listen, I confess and I repent of my sins, okay? I'm sorry. Um, I do love you, and I typically root for the Longhorns unless it's negative for the Aggies. Um, but I, uh, I, God woke me up one day, and I turned my life around and decided I was going to go to A&M, and I joke when I say that. But here's what's interesting. My wife and I both went to Texas A&M and graduated from there, and uh, so it has been uh, my mission as a father loving, good, perfect father to brainwash my children from the day that they could understand that Texas A&M is the place that they will go to college. And I joke a little bit about that, but I've been intentional in that and I make no apologies for it. And one day I know what God's gonna do. He's gonna send them to Austin. I just know that's how it's gonna work out. What I haven't done is I haven't been as intentional about that when it comes to NFL teams. Um, I grew up an Oilers fan. Oilers fans with me? All right, all right, we, uh, we suffer together. Um, I grew up an Oilers fan and they left Houston and I was devastated. And I've got attachment issues with NFL teams because of that. So I've never latched onto another one. So I've been passive about who to steer my kids to and I am suffering the consequences of that today because now I live in the house of a Cowboys fan and a Saints fan because I haven't been intentional. And here's what I want us to understand. I want us to think about this because Moses talks about this. God, when he um, stepped onto the scene, when his people, the Israelites, were held captive by the Egyptians, God steps onto the scene and he rescues them from their slavery, from their captivity. And after he rescues them and he leads them out of captivity, he begins to speak into how they are to live intentional efforts on how to live life and live life to the fullest, how to have hope for their future. So he says, hey, Moses, meet me up on Mount Sinai. And when they get up on Mount Sinai, he starts having this dialogue and he begins to tell Moses all of these specific things to do in order to live their best life and to experience God in the days ahead, how to have hope for their homes. Moses comes back and he communicates this to the Israelites. And then as the um, Moses's life begins to come to an end and he begins to pass the baton to Joshua. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter six. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God. That's a command. He's saying, this is important. All the law and all the, everything that you've been taught and how to live ultimately comes down to this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the intent. This was God's design for continuing to expand his influence, expand his love, expand his kingdom throughout the world. It was through the home. We see this. He says, these words, which I am commanding you today. Notice he's not saying, I'm I'm suggesting, I hope you'll listen. He's saying, I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart, should be at the core of who you are. When When we see heart in scripture, we'll see this again in a minute. When we think about that, it's not like an, a feeling or an emotion. It's, it's something to, to be the core of who we are. It's the most important thing to us. Then he goes on and says this, and you shall repeat them diligently, not passively, but diligently on purpose to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, you shall also write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There's nothing about this that is passive. Moses is saying, this is the most important thing. As he's about to pass the baton of leadership for the Israelites, he's saying, it's important that you pay attention to what's going on, that you have some direction and some purpose in where your home is heading. Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter five. He says, so then be careful how you walk. He said, hey, pay attention. 
There's things going on that you need to be paying attention to. There's a culture that you're creating. Are you being intentional with the culture you're creating? He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Man, that verse is loaded. Be intentional. Don't live as unwise, but live as wise. What does that mean? And what he's saying, he's saying, Pay attention to what's happening because what's happening today, the decisions that you make today, the influence that you have today is going to have an impact on tomorrow. It's going to change and shape some things tomorrow and next week and next year and in the next decade, not just for you, but in the lives of those you're closely connected to. He's saying, pay attention, be careful. Why? Because the days are evil. I just pause right here and just say, parents, listen, we cannot dismiss this. We have been charged with something so incredibly important. And we, as we raise up our children and we develop a home culture that is strong, the days are evil. These days are important. Don't be passive about these days. You know, it's been interesting over the last several months. One of the things that I've noticed is that I have become an ambassador for Disney World, which is weird. Because prior to the fall of 2019, there was nothing about Disney World that was attractive or intriguing or exciting for me because I hate amusement parks. I hate waiting in line, sweating with thousands of other people, the stench, the food's just kind of like meh, mediocre. Uh, It's just not a great experience for me. I also get crazy motion sickness. So I just don't like amusement parks. And so my wife has been talking about for years and we started saving up and we decided we were gonna take the boys to Disneyland and not our Disney World. And I wasn't like, totally against the idea, but I was just like, okay, whatever. We'll do this one time like everybody says we should, and then it'll be over. I just kind of went about it passively. Just a few hours into the trip, I was all in. I was a believer. And I look back and I think on that because I was just so amazed at all that Walt Disney World does, all that they do to make the experience great. And now I have become an ambassador for something I used to actually try to push away. And I begin to think to myself, what in the world has happened to me? I was immersed in a culture and it impacted me. You know, my fear as parents is that there may be a day where we get down the road and we weren't intentional about the time and we've been immersed in a culture and we begin to look at our children or we begin to look at our spouse and we begin to think, what in the world happened to them? He was so cute and he was so um, lovable and he was so tenderhearted. She was so precious. She was so nice and sweet. What has happened? And my fear is, is that it becomes a burden for us because we begin to live in some regrets wishing that we had taken taken the days more seriously, knowing and recognizing now when it's too late that the days are evil. It's a dangerous thing for us to consider. It's a dangerous thing for us to navigate. We've got to make sure that we're taking advantage of opportunities. You know, just a a few weeks, several weeks ago, um, we got a notification from the school that there was a chance that my son may have been exposed to some inappropriate content um, electronically. And uh, so, you know, I didn't panic. I, I came home and started having a conversation with my son and just said, hey, buddy, you know, I'm just, I, let's, let's talk about this, this situation. And I said, listen, have you, have you ever looked at anything maybe that, that would have naked people or that would be inappropriate for you to look at? And he's like, no, dad, I haven't. I was like, okay, well, that's good. And I said, but listen, I, I want you to know, son, if you ever do, 
I want you to come talk to me about it. I want to have some conversation about it. Let's sit down and, and, and understand what that's all about. Even if, even if you sit down, and I told him this, I said, even if you sit down and you end up spending 20 minutes looking at something you know you're not supposed to look at, please come talk to me. Because I don't want him to get to a place someday where he steps into something feeling like he broke a rule and then begins to live in a place of shame and regret and begins to carry baggage that begins to influence the relationships he has down the road as he starts dating, as he steps into a marriage one day, as he begins to parent children of his own. You see, there's something powerful in relationships. And I have a tendency myself, this is my confession, to, to make a lot of rules and then to demand that somebody live by those rules. But there's so much more value in the relationship. Relationships create the opportunity for freedom. We can't be passive in our homes. The other culture that we see a lot is this, the protective culture, a home culture that's protective. You know, when you think about the passive home culture, the passive home home culture, doesn't consider the impact of external influences. The protective home culture understands the impact of external influences. And so it begins to create behaviors and things that are going to eliminate any opportunity for external influences to impact the culture of the home. And so you see this. This was really common when I was growing up. I was a product of the 90s. And in the 90s, there was kind of this movement, especially in churches, that we're gonna build our own little Christian bubbles and live in the Christian bubble. We're gonna listen to Christian music only. We're gonna watch Christian TV only. We're gonna read Christian books only. And I gotta be honest, as I had to kind of participate in some of that back in the day, it was kind of lame. (laughs) I was a little bit disappointed. It was kind of cheesy. But there was this movement that, that we needed to kind of disconnect and isolate ourselves in order to protect ourselves. And so you shop at Mardell and you shop at Hobby Lobby and you only eat Chick-fil-A because you can only eat Christian chicken and they do it really well. And it's always their pleasure. But we find ourselves in this place where we're trying to protect. And I think when we find ourselves in that trap where we're trying to create a protective home culture, the danger is, is we begin to think about sin and uh, the the destruction that sin has in our life as only being an external thing. Jesus talks to the Pharisees about this in Mark chapter seven. Look what he says. He's having this conversation, the Pharisees and the scribes who are all about trying to keep themselves away from the external influences of sin. It says this, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands? They're worried that the disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. Their fear is is that there's going to be something external that's dirty that's going to make what's internal dirty. Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. So he's talking to his disciples and the Pharisees and the scribes, everybody that can hear. He says, there is nothing outside the person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of the person are what defile him. The person, he's saying the external doesn't have the power to contaminate everything that you are because you're already contaminated. There's an internal problem. Look what he goes on to say in verse 21. He says, for from within, out of the hearts of people, at the core of who you and I are, come the evil thoughts, 
the acts of sexual immorality, thefts, all the things external, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And then he goes on to say this, all these things come from within and defile the person. You see, I think we fool ourselves when we just try to protect ourselves and isolate ourselves from the world, trying to prevent any external influence from making an impact in our homes. It's a dangerous place to be. Listen, you could move to your own private island somewhere across the world, take every electronic device connected to YouTube and Facebook and all the social media platforms you could ever think of, throw them all in the water, completely disconnect, and your life would not be any better. Why? Well, because Chick-fil-A wouldn't be there, so that's one thing. But the other thing is that you're still there. And at the core of every single one of us, there's an internal influence that's already there that works towards our destruction. So we cannot just focus on the external. We've got to pay attention to the internal. We've got to be intentional about this. You know, my observation over the years as a student pastor back in the day, I've seen this happen. I remember having a conversation with a mom one time, even after we had sent out an email and we had, t- we had talked about a teaching series we were gonna do on um, dating and relationships and sexual purity. And in that um, series, I got an email from her and then a phone call and she was really frustrated with me. She said, I can't believe you would talk about sexual purity with my child. Teenager, by the way. And I honestly, I was, I was a little bit disappointed in myself. I, I thought to myself, man, I wish I could have done something more because I'm, I, can, I have a tendency to be a people pleaser and I don't like to make people upset. So I was, I was a little bit frustrated with myself, but then I started to think in my head and what I, what I honestly wanted to say to her was, listen, I care about you and I care about your son and I think you need to understand. This, this, this son goes to a public school I said, I know you don't want him to talk about this and you tell me that you guys don't talk about this, but like, can I tell you something? Can I tell you a little secret? He already knows. And he may know more than you even dreamed he would ever know. And what happens is we protect, 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 and we fail to have any conversations about some of the things in our world. And so then the first moment that some kid or child has freedom to step out from the protection of your home, they lose their minds because they don't have a clear understanding of some of the things that are out there in the world. So we can't be passive, we can't be protective, but I think there's a better option. I think it's the best option. And it's simply this, it's a transformed home culture. A transformed home culture. And here's where I want this to land for us today. Ultimately, I want it to land in a place of, what does this mean for you? Because in order for us to experience a transformed home culture, we have to make the decision that it starts with me, that it starts with you. It's really easy to sit here and have a conversation about our homes and think about um, the dysfunction of our teenager or to think about some of the struggle in our marriages or uh, the struggle to find the perfect partner someday. And we get so overwhelmed with that, we begin to focus on everything else around us and everybody else around us. And we fail to really look at the person in the mirror and begin to ask the questions. So where I want this to land today is I want it to land in a passage in Matthew chapter 11. Because I think that where we find transformation is in understanding these verses. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. That's an invitation. He's saying, come to me, Jesus, Jesus himself. He's inviting people to come to him. Who's invited? All who are weary 
and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody feeling a little bit weary today? A little exhausted? Tired? A little bit overwhelmed with the the race that you've been running in life, specifically in your home, potentially? Anybody feeling burdened? Overwhelmed by the circumstances, overwhelmed by some of the realities that are, that are real in your home with your family and, and those that you're closely connected with. Jesus is inviting us, weary and burdened, to come to him and we find rest. What does that mean? I don't think Jesus is just talking about a physical rest because we're sleepy. He's speaking into something bigger than that. He's talking about a, a rest for our souls. We see that down there just a little bit further. It's a rest that we begin to experience as we find freedom from some of the dangerous, destructive habits and tendencies that we've navigated life with forever that are hurting the home dynamic because we go to him. We begin to find rest as we experience hope, knowing that he's got a plan, that he knows how the story ends. He controls the story. I know that there's been this question asked by a lot of people, even myself over the last several months, God, where are you? What's going on? What, why, why is this happening? Are you even paying attention? Nothing happens outside of what God is aware of. And as I think about that, it gives me some hope because I'm like, you know what? He holds the key to the end of the story and I can trust him. But it also gives me some purpose. And the purpose isn't just to be a good husband. The purpose isn't just to be a good father and to raise my kids up and send them out one day. The purpose is so much bigger than that. And when we come to Jesus in our exhaustion and in our overwhelmed sense of life, he wants to give us rest. He says, take up my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying, do something. He's talking about an exchange. He says, learn from me, follow me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. You know, it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And the whole book launches from this passage and it's just really opened my eyes to something that I want us to see today. There's 89 chapters in the four gospels in the New Testament, all talking about the life and ministry, uh, the arrival, the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. And tucked into the 89 chapters, all about the life of Christ is this one spot, this one place where Jesus himself speaks about his heart. It's the only place in all of scripture where Jesus says, hey, I wanna give you a peek into the core of me why I exist, what wakes me up in the morning and what I think about when I go to sleep. He's saying, I want you to see my heart. My heart is gentle and humble. What does that mean? It's gentle, which means that Jesus isn't looking at us with a strong finger saying, there you go again. You blew it. You totally messed that up. What were you thinking when you did that? are are, Are you like completely losing your mind? He's not saying, stop screwing up. Stop messing up. You're better than that. He's not doing that. He's gentle. He's saying, hey, my arms are open. My compassion is for you. My heart is for you. He is gentle and he is humble. Why is this important? because this is so much more than just a mindset for Jesus. It's what Jesus actually did. He lowered himself to the lowest place in society. Why? So that no matter what you and I are going through or where we've allowed ourselves to get, 
we can look at Jesus and know that he is accessible, that he is approachable with open arms for us. There's an invitation. Who qualifies for this invitation? The weary and the burdened. So there's no need for you to collect yourself. There's no need for you to get all the right answers. There's no need for you to kind of clean up the mess that you've made of your life. The invitation is simply, come as you are. He's simply saying, come to me. I love this passage and what it means because what it says is that we will find rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's talking about an exchange. But it's interesting what he says, because I don't know if you know what a yoke is, because we're not really um, in the society of agriculture and farming as a, as a whole, like it was back in this day. But a yoke is simply something that would be put on an oxen to drag farming equipment across a field. And I don't think you have to be super intelligent to realize, because I'm not, that a yoke was probably really uncomfortable, that it was heavy, that it was exhausting. It would be for you and I. And so it's interesting that he's saying something about an item that's heavy, that's uncomfortable, that would be a burden, that would be something that would cause weariness. He's saying, my yoke is comfortable. He's saying, my yoke is easy. You see, we choose our yokes. And what happens is, is whatever our yoke is, what Jesus wants us to see is the purpose and the reason we live our life. The yoke is what is it that we most desire in our life because whatever that is, is what leads us and directs us and guides us in this life. And a lot of times we're so overwhelmed with something that we desire, that we believe is going to be good, that we find ourselves exhausted and beat down and overwhelmed. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, my yoke's not like that. You're gonna go through life and it's gonna be difficult. And what he's saying, he's saying, would you replace your yoke for my yoke? Because my yoke is easy, it's comfortable, it's light. It's ironic that he describes it this way. He's inviting you into something better. What he's saying, he's saying, would you lay down what you have? Lay down what's most important and exchange it for something better. He's saying, would you be willing to do that? Because maybe you've been living life for so long that you've been um, working the crowbar to protect everything in your home and you find yourself in a place of exhaustion and disappointment because as hard as you've worked, it still hasn't worked the way that you thought it would work. Or maybe you're in a place where you've been a little bit passive and you've actually thought to yourself what I said a little while ago, what in the world happened to him? What in the world happened to her? And now you're starting to feel this burden wishing that maybe you had done a little bit more and not been so passive in your home culture. The invitation is for you. And the invitation never expires. Jesus is inviting us into something and we have a tendency to push him away because we begin to think to ourselves, I'm not good enough. I've messed up too much. My past disqualifies me. But we see here the only qualifications for the invitation to come to Jesus, exhaustion, being overwhelmed weary, burdened. Jesus is saying, lay those things down. Because see, here's what's happening. What you're actually holding on to so tight is actually holding on to you. You desire with everything that you are that your kids would grow up to be something very, very specific in order for you to feel like a successful parent. You desire so much that your marriage would be everything you ever hoped and intended that it would be because then you'll feel like life was done right and that you accomplished what you were supposed to accomplish. 
You're holding on to it tightly, working it, controlling it, trying to make it everything that you hoped it would be. Great kids, perfect marriage, plenty in your savings account. Listen, I struggle with this. I was thinking back as several years ago when I first started here at Community Faith and I was working here as the student pastor and um, we were experiencing some really cool times and God was doing some really good things and a lot of students were showing up and I found that I had this tendency to place my identity on how the ministry was working. Here's what I mean. People would show up on a Wednesday night and if enough people showed up on that Wednesday, then I felt like I was successful at what I did. I felt like I was worthy. I felt like I was loved. I feel like I was accepted. But if the right number of people didn't show up, then it would take a hit on my identity, on my worth, on my value. And I begin to think to myself, man, I'm not doing very good. And here's the danger of that. And this is what I found even in my own life. In those days where I started to feel like maybe I wasn't doing good enough. And I began to connect my identity to my success. I was completely unable to be the student pastor that I needed to be because I wasn't really able to love the students that I was called to love. Because the only reason I was really loving them was so that I would love myself. That's a dangerous place to be. And maybe you've never been in that spot, but you've got some similar spots that maybe you found yourself in. You need your family to look a certain way. You need your kids to act a certain way. You look at them, you say, hey, listen, Junior, don't you dare disappoint me. And then you find yourself in a place of disappointment. It's a dangerous place because we find ourselves in a place where we can't love those closest to us well because we struggle to love ourselves because we've tied our identity to the success of our home. And Jesus is saying, lay it down. You're looking for the perfect home, for the perfect relationship. Understand that your home is a gift that was never intended to be a God. Lay that down. Jesus uses this imagery all the time. And he says, he says things like, hey, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And that sounds really difficult and painful and impossible. But here's why he says that. He's saying, hey, take, take the idea of having the perfect family, the perfect marriage, the perfect kids, the perfect bank account, and lay it down at the cross. That sounds hopeless, but here's the reality. Whatever we lay down at the cross doesn't just die at the cross. It's miraculously resurrected. And I don't know about you, but I know that there are people around me and myself included that we need some resurrection power at work in our homes. We need some restoration of some relationships. We need some some direction and purpose in our homes. What does this look like for you? Would you be willing to lay down the yoke? What's most important so that Jesus can give you something better. I want you to understand this. Jesus can't give you the life you're looking for until you're willing to give him the life that you have. We're working so hard to have that life. The only one that can give that to us is Jesus. But it's not just true about our life. It's also true about our home. Jesus can't give you the home you're looking for until you give him the home that you have. Would you be willing to lay that down? Would you be willing to make that transaction? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. The sticker that you received when you came in, I just want you to take that. I want you to consider it. I don't want you to jump into this too quickly, but I want you to think about it. What is it for you? 
When you think about, I need hope for my home, I need hope for my marriage. Maybe you need hope for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter or a husband or a wife that maybe has kind of gone a little bit astray. Maybe you need hope for your finances, hope for your future. What is it? Whatever that is this week, I want you to write that down. And then I want this to be somewhere visible for you all week long. And every time you look at it, you're not praying, God, would you work in this? You're praying and you're saying, God, I trust you with this and I lay this down and I put it in your control. Because what I thought was good that I've been holding on to has actually been holding on to me and I'm tired and I need some rest. And I realized today that only that rest comes from you. I'll close with this. My, um, I was thinking about this this week and just reflecting back because you know, you, you hear stories of family dynamics and family histories. I started thinking back to my mom's life and she lost her mom at a really young age, really tragic death, difficult time. And because of some of the struggles that were beyond her control and beyond the control of her brothers and sisters, her life began to take on a lot of abandonment, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, some addiction, not, not only for her, just, just for, it was just kind of that culture in the home. And it was difficult. And oftentimes when you look at family history, it begins to kind of repeat itself. And it's a cycle that never ends and the apple never fall, falls far from the tree. And I was thinking through some of the hurt and some of the frustration and the chaos that my mom experienced. And then I began to reflect back on when I was really, really young, I remember very clearly the day that my mom decided to trust Jesus, to lay her life down. She desired so badly to be the perfect mom. And she was a great mom. But she made a decision to say, Jesus, I trust you. And then I began to watch her. And she would sit on her bed for hours reading her Bible. She would sit there for hours writing in her prayer journal. She would spend hours with other people telling them about the love of Jesus and the impact that that had had on her life and how they could begin to find hope in their own lives and in their own homes. And I saw this transformation take place because she made a decision to come to Jesus because she was weary and she was burdened. And I become overwhelmed with gratitude when I think about that. And I think about who she was and who my dad was and watching them live out their faith. Parents understand this. Kids are gonna hear what you say, but they're gonna do what you do. And I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude when I think back to that because my mom's transformation rewrote my story. And I wouldn't be who I am and I'm not perfect and she's not perfect. My dad's not perfect. I've got plenty of failures and struggles, but it's protected me. I think it leads us to this place where we understand this, that transformed people transform the culture. And it starts with you. But the opposite of that is also true. Untransformed people are transformed by culture. Where does this land for you? Would you simply come to Jesus today? Lay down what's so dear to you what you so desperately want in exchange for something so much better. We pray with me? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it means to us. I thank you for the hope that it allows us to wrap our minds and our hearts and our lives to. And God, right now in this moment, I just pray specifically for every single home represented in this room. There's some heaviness, there's some, there's some pain, there's some chaos, some confusion. We are in desperate need of healing. We are in desperate need of rest, restoration in our relationships. 
God, I pray for the marriages that seem hopeless, that you would restore something that may be incredibly broken. Would you bring some peace and some homes, just, just a little bit? Just start somewhere, start to work, start to move, but start in us. Right now, we simply say, we trust you. Would you do what only you can do in our lives? Will we trust you for something better than we can accomplish on our own? Listen, with your eyes closed, I just want you to consider this. Where does this land for you? Because I think there might be some here today that you've never really ever trusted Jesus. I just wanna give you a quick moment to make that decision. Maybe that's where you are today and you find yourself in a place where you've tried to manage your life. You've tried to manage your home, everything going on around you, and it's not getting you where you wanted to go. Jesus is saying, just trust me. Would you tell him that? Would you, would you lay your life down and say, Jesus, I trust you? Would you ask for his forgiveness? Say, Jesus, forgive me. Right now, where you're sitting, just maybe you're watching online and, and you're sitting there in this moment and you feel this and you need this. And you say, Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. Show me how to live from this day forward. And then for all of us, what I want us to do is I want us just to respond to what we've heard today through song. A song called, I give you my heart. What a perfect ending to what we've heard. As we respond to the invitation to come to Jesus today. And so as we express our gratitude for him, as we express our trust in him, let's just worship together as we end our time together today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. We give you everything today because we know that your ways are better for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.